RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Today's episode is sponsored by Optimum Nutrition. To get a 40% discount across their entire batch-tested range, use the code RENEGADE40 at www.onacademy.co.uk forward slash elite portal. And of course, members of the Rugby Renegade online subscription program get an exclusive 50% discount plus free access to the Optimum Nutrition online nutrition course. Welcome back to episode 67 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I interview Emma Tester, nutritionist with Munster Rugby. Um, really interesting podcast again, it's great to get a nutritionist on um, and, and talk food. Uh, and in the current climate it's really good because Emma's done a lot of research on immunity um, with the guys at Munster and obviously that's important anytime, but you know more so now. So some some great information there, and some real practical information in terms of macronutrients um, to give you guys some idea of, of what you should be targeting for protein, carbs, and fats, um, and and tons of other information. Talk about kind of the culture they develop in Munster around nutrition. So it's really interesting. As always, give it a listen and let us know what you think. Hi Emma, welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. It's great to have you on. Let's start by you telling us a little bit about your background, how you got into sports nutrition and who, you, who you've worked with. Yeah, fab. So um, thanks for having me on. I've uh, I've kind of had quite a, a traditional route, I suppose, from what most sport nutritionists kind of pathways into the career. I um, I had an interest in, in sport when I was young and realised I'm not an athlete. So I kind of also that blend of science in there as well. I chose to do sports science at university. Um, I hadn't decided that I wanted to be a sport nutritionist from a young age or anything like that. So it was kind of very much a, a learning led experience and, and progression. So as I kind of worked through years of undergraduate modules different interests and kind of found that sport nutrition was was the thing that kind of hooked my my interest I suppose um so after I'd finished my undergrad I went straight into um a master's in sport and exercise nutrition which was a a four-year kind of taught taught program both of them were through um what was Leeds Metropolitan at the time and now it's Leeds Beckett University um after I'd kind of done my master's year um, I picked up um, an internship during the master's year that was part of um, the sport performance department so supporting any of the performance based projects they had kind of going on so that was really the sort of fledgling into sport um, as it were because I'm I didn't have uh work experience as it were um specific to sport nutrition so anything that passed through the performance department i um put my hand up to to get involved with so loads of different team sport athletes and the history of leeds is um heavily linked to the rugby setup in leeds so at the time it was um leeds carnegie yorkshire carnegie and a big strong partnership with with them and leeds rhinos so there was that ongoing partnership and then a lot of the other kind of Leeds based sports institutions and groups would seek support from the performance group there. So 
like any of the Leeds based sports clubs that Leeds United kind of knocked on the door for support. Um, Yorkshire cricket, Leeds swimming, a lot of the, the ongoing stuff in the region, but we also had a lot of like individual sport challenge athletes and kind of real extreme athletes coming through as well. So some that were doing um, the sort of sailing around the world both ways. We had the army come through for expeditions. So lots of extreme kind of um, groups as well. Um, so that was probably uh, a post that I had for, for the full year of my master's. Um, and I'd also at the same time GB Lifting were based, uh, their performance centre was based in Leeds as well. So I'd picked up bits of work with them for the year. Um, and it was kind of, as we came towards the end of, uh, the end of my master's, I, I also um, picked up an intern post with Leicester City Football. So I'm from Leicester. Um, so after my master's, I'd kind of moved home for a period of time um, where I was working with Leicester, but traveling up to continue working with the performance projects that were going on through the university. And I was, I was lecturing through the university as well. So it was kind of splitting my time between, between the two until I was able to move back to, to Leeds kind of full time as it were. Um, but the work with Leicester City carried on for three seasons. I was with their academy program. So providing the nutrition support from, like under eights to under 21 so a real kind of range of um range of boys to to work with there so that's kind of the the sort of historical route i suppose as i kind of progressed through working for a number of years i um i've always had a rugby interest so and a research interest as well so i um started uh, my phd program i I had a project in mind and, and was able to start that and self-fund for probably a year and then I was able to pick up um, kind of a, a more permanent position in university where it was split between my research and and teaching um, and that was probably working there until 2016 and then the monster position came up um, throughout my kind of PhD it became quite I, I wasn't able to continue working with as many sporting groups I didn't think I would do do it a good enough service so I kind of cut back and really just focused on um rugby work and working with the England regional program the academy boys in the Leeds union side um just focusing on working with them and then yeah carried on my PhD uh, slowly when I moved over to Limerick but um yeah move I did and that's three and a half years nearly four years that I'll have been here which is it's just flown by it's really it's really gone quickly yeah so that's cool. kind of how I got to where I am yeah like tons, tons of experience and you know obviously Munster's a very successful rugby club with a lot of histories so it must be great to be involved yeah. there I'm just interested you, you you said about your involvement with Leicester Academy and working with players ranging from 8 to 21 that must have been quite interesting in terms of delivering because I'm assuming it would have been slightly different to the different age groups how, how, how do you deal with that? I mean like nutrition at any age is about basics so what I would do with the under eights is kind of quizzes. Can you name this fruit and vegetable? Um, and, and really focusing on 
real basic plate education but um it's got to be fun because they're there because they want to kick the ball around and and have fun so it, it was really about kind of getting an interest in nutrition but kind of as a as a fun way and not just um kind of didactic education sessions in the, in the traditional format but the same principles apply to the lads I work with now plate education and getting the variety of, of food in so the basic principles of nutrition apply across all ages but it comes down to your I suppose teaching methods and an application of that so yeah it's it's a challenge in that you have to deliver it differently but the knowledge basis is is kind of the same if that makes sense yeah so yeah, yeah it's got to be fun with kiddies yeah definitely no i was just interested because that's such a broad range that um mm. yeah i wondered about your kind of style and approach and it sounds like yeah it makes makes sense and i, I, I suppose even for some of the older ones you need to you need to make it fun to get them to sort of yeah. maintain yeah, that yeah. i mean when you're working with athletes they're there because they want to do the sport yeah. not because they want to listen to your nutritionist telling them why fruit and vegetables are good for you so you kind of you have to make it fun whether like you'll get some athletes that have have a real interest because they're interested and they like food but then like it's just like normal people some people are just not that fussed on food they don't get loads of enjoyment out of it but you kind of have to create the culture around food to get them interested yeah that's cool and we might delve into that a little bit later on but um first kind of main question uh kind of very hot topic at the moment as you can imagine is the um uh, immunity um and i know you've done some research on this what what can we do nutritionally to improve our immune function so um it's really about kind of being your body being well able to fight off infection when it does occur so it's quite it's a hot topic at the minute, definitely, but it's also, it can be quite controversial in terms of the terminology that people are using. So there's a lot of um, people out there advocating sort of immune boosting. And then there's a kind of a camp, I suppose, that really hate the term boosting immunity. Um, so it's, it can be quite controversial in terms of the, the phrasing you use. So it's, it really is about maintaining a strong immune system and a strong immune system for your common cold is obviously extremely different from the current COVID climate that we're in. So there's, you've got to kind of be really careful as to what you're advocating and what you're advocating it for. So to say that something's going to prevent you from getting COVID is outrageous um, from a nutrition point of view. Um, but in terms of how you would keep an immune system functioning well it really is down to your basics of getting a variety of nutrients in so that whole eating the rainbow concept getting lots of different colors on your plate because a lot of the different colored foods will give you different types of nutrients in there so again that's a kind of basic given in terms of my specific research it was solely addressing the requirements of rugby players so I kind of assessed immune function over the course of uh, a pre-season and then an in-season period with a couple of different teams and we looked to establish what are the kind of basic macronutrient requirements of players so in terms of 
how much protein do they need that seems to support an immune system and what is potentially the value that could maybe have a negative impact or maybe that could be more positive from an immune response and the same kind of trying to identify that for carbohydrates and fat as well and I think what's what's been really important in this current period is the fact that people have um, been very limited probably in the amount of maybe not the amount but probably the type of training is probably not normal at the minute so what we're asking people to do now in our current situation is return to a training program that essentially they've had three or four months three months away from so that's a shock to the system and whenever there's a, a stressor put on the body whether that's physical it could be a mental and environmental stressor that can occur. Your immune system's got to be able to kind of cope with that and defend itself. So we've been very strategic in terms of planning our training for our guys coming back in. And we've also I've kind of really tried to promote the fact that you need to prepare for training before you get to training. It's not just eat well before you three or four hours before you go to training it's probably having your body get used to an increasing amount of stresses and really have tried to promote that the week before they've come back in we've kind of set different or modified nutrient targets for those that like to track their intake and so we've kind of set a slightly higher carbohydrate target than we might traditionally do so but again it's to help deal with all those changes in stress that are going to happen kind of this week that they've that they've started back with us so you can look at kind of uh, nutrition and immunity really in two different angles the the chronic stuff that you should be doing kind of all the time and that's get, getting adequate energy in and it's making sure that you're consuming the right amount of um, different nutrients to suit the, the type of training that you're doing. And again, making sure that you have a consistent micronutrient intake. So vitamin C is usually something that people think if I get sick, I'll take a load of vitamin C and that will make me um, better. That will, that will help me get better. And that's it can be effective for some people, but something like vitamin C is much more effective when it's taken chronically. So ensuring that your um, everyday intake is sufficient, it's much more effective than using it as a kind of short-term try and make me better approach. But there's some things that we would do um, kind of acutely around immunity, and that's maybe looking at um, we use zinc lozenges say for example to try and reduce the the duration and the severity if someone does get sick with your kind of your common cold then that's something we would look to try and ensure that they're they're doing and doing consistently well because um, from like zinc, zinc lozenges we see a really good impact on the time it takes before kind of one of the lads is is sick until they get better so there's kind of two angles really that you would look at and i think within the current covid climate vitamin d has also got 
a lot of um, attention. And I think for those who have been kind of uh, inside, as everyone kind of should have been, but sheltering, cocooning, whatever you kind of the terms are out there. But for those that have had restrictive um, sunlight exposure, then vitamin D really might be something that you would need to support kind of um, to support your immune system. But I mean, the weather's turned here as soon as we've gone back into, as soon as we've been let out basically. But while we were kind of in a lockdown period in Ireland, the weather was outstanding and the typically people live um, in sort of uh, semi-detached, detached housing as opposed to apartment style living, say for example. So sun exposure hasn't really been a problem for us. I mean, seems like the British lads have come back with a bit of a tan and the Irish lads are still um, pale and pasty. But again, they've, they've tried and they've got some sun exposure, but it's not something that's been a huge concern for us. We do blood test players for various reasons as and when, as and when we need to. And we've done a cluster of the players recently as part of an immune project we have going on. Their vitamin D levels were were adequate so it's not something we did for this current climate and touch wood none of our players have um have had covid and had to kind of come back from it so um yeah but there's a few, there's kind of a couple of different angles that you you can take on on immunity as it were yeah it's interesting i'm glad you mentioned vitamin d as well because that, that's one thing i always thought you know the majority of training is outside so for for rugby players you'd imagine um most of them would get sufficient how, how do you approach it do you just test everyone and kind of see if there is any outliers who, who might need it so we don't test um we don't test everyone all the time um just because we've we've found over the years we've we've gone down that route and found it's not necessary so we're a bit more targeted in who we um who we would test or not so those that are more um illness prone and there are some because of other potential health conditions that they have. But for those ones that we know are more illness prone, then we do look to target them and test them at certain time points as well. The international players that we have, um, they do have routine screening when they're involved with um, with the Irish squad. So we, we have a number of players who would um, the regular faces in in the squad so they would have routine testing and and then within the club we're, we're just a bit more um targeted with with our approach with it as well i think sometimes you go down the route of uh freaking people out if you're just testing all the time and you're looking for something that like without reason yeah i think sometimes if you do that you can you can just end up freaking people out a bit yeah, yeah, especially rugby players, I guess. Um, and the zinc lo uh, lozenges—that's something I haven't heard. So, how is—is is that literally an acute thing? If they've got got a cold, you'll you'll give them zinc mm. lozenges. Yeah, so the first kind of sign of a uh, head cold, basically. Okay. Um, they take these zinc lozenges, and there's a few different um, companies that produce them now. There's um, there's not too much. So, if you're dealing with pro athletes. Of course, you well know um, everything has to be batch tested for um, potential contamination of 
of banned substances. So there's a few brands out there that um, produce these zinc lozenges. Um, I won't name names, but if you can check out the Informed Sport website and do a search for, say, zinc lozenge products in there, and that's on a, a, a safety assurance program that kind of gives you a bit more guarantee just because they've been through a, a batch testing program. Um, so they, in general, work by um, changing the oral pH in the mouth. So there's a slower rate of bacteria growth as well. So that's kind of the premise behind it. It actually comes from, I'm not, I can't even name the dates. I'd say 100, 200 years of ago, there's a story of, um, sort of a poorly patients taking a vitamin C uh, medicine, but actually using it as a, a, a lozenge and finding it much more effective than taking it as a kind of oral consumption dose, as it were. So um, it's kind of something that's been around for a long, long time, but it's something that we've found really effective with with our players particularly, I don't know, across the kind of nutrition research world, it's it's got a lot of attention. And um, there's been a few big kind of reviews and analysis of lots of studies out there. And it seems quite a, an effective one that we find. I mean, we even got our kit man on board taking it. So, I mean, if you get a kit man on board, then <laughs> you kind of know something's, something's working, so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, now, kind of when you're dealing with a with a client or an athlete um what what's your first um what's the first thing you do um is it assessment is it education how how do you approach it when you, you very first deal with an athlete so um it turns a lot broader so if you're kind of if i wasn't in my current role and just dealing with any athlete that i come i come across you really got um you've kind of got two groups you've got people that approach you for support or people that are told to approach you for support sort of thing so the people that approach you for support they're usually a lot more receptive and will quickly engage with the process those that are either told to get help from a nutritionist or just feel like they have to the first thing you do in both situations really but more so with the ones that are kind of told to go see the nutritionist is to just get and get to know them <laughs> kind of get them talking to you get to understand them as an individual get to judge their level of engagement and interest as well um because like i say a lot of the a lot of the science is standard it's, it's science so it you you kind of um tweak it to deal with whatever kind of athlete you've got but how you implement nutrition is really the biggest um the biggest challenge so say with a training program i think it's much more easily taken on board by people because it's um it's a bit more prescriptive and didactic so you have to do this many uh lifts a week and you have to do this many sets and reps and it's kind of because it's programmed in it's just um it's just done so establish that kind of relationship or or driver and kind of interest level and then um again tweak the science as much as you need but to change someone's behavior is really the thing that's the difficult part so i could tell you to go and eat five fruit and vegetables every day 
and some people will be like yes can do it not a problem and away they go and some people it just doesn't work so and like if you think about it in in the general population everyone knows that eating biscuits crisps drinking to excess is probably not great for you but some people just do it anyway so if you want them to change it's it's you've got to establish how am i going to change what this person has been doing potentially their whole whole life so that's kind of the the challenging or hard bit to figure out and that's the stuff you kind of have to you have to figure out early on as well because there's no point going through say a consultation process and giving them some tips and advice analyzing their intake telling them what they should eat without establishing well how is that going to fit into your life because you eat during normal kind of everyone has a normal life to get on with so whether that's figuring out oh well they should probably have this snack on during the drive home like at Munster we have some players that commute from Cork so how can I facilitate them still hitting their nutritional needs even factoring in a commute sort of an hour and a half drive well, it depends how fast they go but an hour and a half drive up and down to Cork how do we how do we work that into their nutrition program so it's not to say go away and eat this and you figure it out you've, you've got to be able to to help the person establish the behavior so one of the things i i like to do within the club environment and it's different because i'm there so i'm there all the time and i'm <laughs> i kind of can can intercept and just put things in the way so they like they walk into the training center and i mean not in the normal system because we have a one-way system in the building now but they walk into the building using a particular door that leads directly into the dressing room then if i want them to do certain things or to have certain drinks or snacks or things then i put it in their face so it's on a table next to the door as they come in so they can grab and go you you have to make it very very fluid and part of their routine because like in our facility the kitchen is on the top floor so if they come in from training to the dressing room which is on the ground floor and I say make sure you go and get your smoothie and it's all the way upstairs then they're not going we have a lift and they still won't they still won't go so <laughs> you've kind of got to work it into there so I literally just put put it by the back door put it in their footpath as it were so they can't they, they would have to go out of their way to avoid doing the right behavior <laughs> so kind of that's that's one of the the thing to to work on is get your relationship right but figure out how you can help them in their lifestyle as much as tell them what to eat yeah and, and on that um you you mentioned some players you know quite like to you know track their calories and their food intake just out of interest what sort of you know sort of rough percentage of, of players like that what what sort of number completely you know completely couldn't do that um because again that's that individual thing and some people respond to it some people don't i think um it really depends on what the situation is at the time so if a player picks up an injury then that's a time period where they're, they're much more likely to to do it um 
in the kind of lockdown phase and the return to train kind of period, I've actually found because players have um, more time in some cases while they've been at home to take more time preparing their own food, like restaurants are closed. So they've had to sort themselves out all the time. There are some that have kind of um, engaged with um, pre-made healthy style meal companies, but like they've got to feed themselves a lot more than they used to. So they've been more keen to take an interest in, or well, how much am I, am, how much am I consuming um, down to the ground sort of thing. But me personally, I don't think it's um, a healthy behavior in the long run to continually track and and monitor because you can become it can be really helpful to do it in the short term and it gives you a good picture of what someone's uh, kind of day-to-day habits are like but if someone becomes obsessed by they didn't hit their protein target by 10 grams and berate themselves for that then that's also to me that's a negative relationship to food as much as it would be if someone was say had dis- it's kind of it's not an eating disorder but it's a disordered way of eating to do that kind of over the long term so in the healthy squad in the normal kind of in-season period you might get probably five to ten percent that might record what they're doing but I mean our season is week to week to week it's like a I think it's like a train that just chugs on and you stop for a game, stop for a game, stop for a game. So they they don't really have the capacity to be tracking their intake as well as everything else they have to do. And I think that's probably a bit of a misconception to the outside world is that they just rock up, train a bit and off they go. Like our lads are in for a full day, they review, they preview, they have meetings, they train, they recover, they go to they're in the gym they have huge media commitments these days as well so kind of then to say oh well you also record everything you eat during the day as well I think it's quite um quite annoying to to them to do so I don't mandate it I think I encourage it with with certain individuals at certain times but on the whole we don't go down the route of that and the players generally get used to I mean, most athletes in general are quite habitual people. So once they get into the swing of, am I hitting my intake? Good. I'll just kind of stay on repeat. And they get a kind of, we say it's like getting your eye in, you kind of, you're able to eyeball quite a lot easier knowing what you're kind of eating. If you track a bit, okay, I'm good. I can carry that on. And they don't need to do the writing down process as much. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I agree. It's that that early, that early process for some people. It will it will kind of things will become aware to them that they, they didn't realise before, um, and then yeah. and then like I say they learn that routine and can go from there. Um, as interesting you said about the like the sort of prepared meal delivery services. I don't know like a few players who've done that, and they're always really surprised at how how little those those meals provide. Has that been an issue with with your guys, or have they managed to find somewhere that's kind of for you know actually meals for athletes will provide enough um, no in general no um we kind of i use them as um top of top of 
lots of, for the kind of lads that have quite high energy requirements. So it's like fine if you want to get those meal deliveries. It's not so much out of laziness for the majority. There's some that are just lazy, but there's for the for the majority of them, it's they physically aren't able and they haven't got the time to be cooking and prepping as much and fit in everything that they need. So it's like, yeah, you have your normal meals and then you can have that and it's an extra, it's addition to what you're already doing. So it's just makes it easier to hit their intakes. Um, but it's, we don't use them as like meal replacements. I yeah. think that's probably one of the, the main things to have um, kind of in the player's mind is it, this doesn't replace the effort that you need to make with your own nutrition. This is just to assist you in, in being kind of, yeah, more on, more on target to your nutrient needs, as it were. Yeah, I guess it's better than going to convenience food, which is obviously low quality and not going to be hitting those targets either. Um, um, you've got to think about the fact that after a training session, they're going to be, um, I don't know if I can swear in this podcast, they're going to be knackered and <laughs> really just want to go home and yeah. probably sit there and eat but can't be bothered to do the kind of prep work that's needed straight away after a session they might be able for it kind of later on in the day but if you don't kind of have those um, things ready ready for you waiting then the likelihood of oh just drop into whatever shop and pick up that because it looks delicious at the time because i'm starving sort of thing so it does help cut down on that uh impulse buying that would probably happen with some yeah right now the next question is when we have um all the guests on the podcast uh, podcast answer uh, and it's usually related to strength and conditioning but this time it'll be um nutrition but what do you think is the biggest mistake rugby players make when it comes to nutrition um the first thing that comes to mind is that they underestimate its importance and i think I would say a lot of players do underestimate the effort needed to going into getting it right. So I think players are more educated and they kind of know, yeah, it can make a difference. But I think there's few that really understand the impact that it can have. And I think it's usually the players who are injured or trying to make it or come into the end of a career that um, get it a bit more. So the players that are trying to prolong a career and keep their bodies together because it's just been battered about for 10 years, they probably engage with things because they know if I do this and it makes me feel better, then that's great. I think there's the young fellows who are probably trying to make it. And a lot of the time, players are trying to chase size because... I don't believe that there's a a good framework for development with with rugby players. Um, we kind of expect them from to go from like a 14, 15 year old where they're just a big kid to be in this um, fully well developed, ripped like athlete. And it's just like that's how do you get them from A to B? There, you're not really understanding. But the ones that engage with nutrition at a younger age are able to be physically kind of better developed and that's not to say they're just a bigger but um, a more well developed they're more um, more like an athlete so 
you get the young guys who engage well and they see the changes happen quickly because they're young and they're very adaptable and you get the older guys trying to prolong it and then you get the injured guys who will do everything humanly possible to get back on the pitch so i think for the biggest mistake is usually it applies to all the other lads who underestimate the impact it could have um uh, there's a lot of debate out there about um the right amounts of macronutrients um and, and obviously it's going to vary depending on the individual but what what some of the current research and and your own experience suggests in terms of best practice for macronutrient um, prescription so um in t if i was like setting nutrient targets and, and going down that route with with guys and i would look at um nutrient targets that support their immune system i think because it's my research background but if you keep a player healthy and well and they can stay on the pitch then you should you should try and pursue that with every kind of with every uh, way possible so if i went down that route and looked at um a fat intake goal because i think that's probably quite um sort of it's not a focus i think but fat is really important from an immune function point of view a lot of micronutrients that are involved in immune function are transported around the body by fat so having an overly restrictive fat intake isn't good a fat intake can also help you meet calorie needs as well which can be hard when the when the kind of calorie targets can be quite high um so i would look at and I base my recommendations in general on a gram per kilogram point of view, as opposed to percentages. Um, so I would look at an intake for fat at around the 1 to 1.2 grams for every kilo of body mass. So if you've got a your squat average is 100 kilo layer, so you'd look at 1 times 100, so 100 grams, or 1.2 times 100 grams. Uh, 100 kilos for a fat intake also that kind of 1 to 1.2 protein intake is high um it's 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 essential that they have a good protein intake it's not only just supporting your, your recovery and from kind of muscle development but because these lads have a much higher muscle mass than a lot of athletes it, it also means that their muscle protein breakdown level is higher as well so they really do need a high amount to support their intake and in general i kind of work on the premise of a twice their body weight so two um two grams for every kilo of body weight or you'd potentially push that up to two and a half times um their body mass again in kilos you'd push it to that higher end in general for the lads that are looking to um, support their lean mass. But if they are looking to say um, lean down, then they might, you, I mean, if you want to lose body fat, then you, can, you have to cook calories at some point. But if you just cook calories and you cut down on protein intake then the likelihood is you're going to lose muscle as well so a higher protein intake towards that two and a half and 2.5 gram per kilo target will actually help support the maintenance of muscle mass even if you do cut, cut down calorie intake there so again it depends on what the primary focus is for for the player at different times so you'd kind of work between 
filtering that range from an immune point of view my own research kind of indicates that an intake of around 2.2 2.3 seems to be beneficial to kind of um, immune function and then carbohydrate intake is the tricky one to kind of manage i think historically um every player was advocated to eat loads of carbohydrate and then it kind of swung the complete other way and players became really afraid of carbohydrate because they thought it made them fat um so it's it's really down to the player that you're working with and what they're doing in terms of a training program um you've got to look at how much they're how much distance they're covering on the pitch because i mean in general your um backs are able to utilize and consume a lot more carbohydrate um just from the type of training that they're doing I mean, they're on feet and the, the higher speeds that they're running at they are utilizing more carbohydrate probably as an energy source and and typically they might be the ones that struggle to um, keep weight on as well just because the amount of on feet work they're doing so for my forwards in general i probably work between a two and a three gram per kilo but again you're dealing with heavier individuals here as well so you might be dealing with a 110 depends on on where you are in the world playing but you could be dealing with 120 125 kilo individuals so to say that they need three grams per kilo of body weight that's still three four hundred grams of carbohydrate and that's that's quite a substantial amount still to to work through whereas backs and again it depends on on the individual from a body comp point of view but how much um, what's their work output like but you might work between say the three and five gram per kilogram target um but again they are that bit lighter and they they might well struggle to to keep weight on i think a lot of the time maybe it falls under that biggest mistake category is that when players are often trying to pursue mass they just try and smash in as much protein as humanly possible but that's really not effective way to um make gains you you need a sufficient amount of carbohydrate to support those those kind of gains in in muscle mass as well so um being overly restrictive of carbohydrate is not good from an immune point of view um and a lot of the time for developing players them trying to be restrictive on carbohydrate does does nothing for their for their development as well so that's the general kind of nutrient targets i might do so fat one to 1.2 grams protein two to 2.5 forwards for carbohydrate two to three grams per kilo backs for carbohydrate maybe three to five gram per kilo but you figure out what works for each individual as you go through like i've got a couple of wingers on the team they weigh exactly the same i think there's like a centimeter difference between them one can eat like a horse and struggle to keep his mass one he could stare at a food for too long and start to pick up weight so even if there's a profile of players where they look they read exactly the same how their body responds to 
the food that they consume can be completely different so you kind of you have to you have to figure that out and it's trial and error when you first start to work with athletes in any sport and I've been working with rugby now for 10 12 years maybe so kind of been a lot of trial and error and, and figuring that out over time yeah but that, that's great um, some great targets like really good starting points for you know our, our yeah, it's a bit more specific than some of the stuff you might read about um kind of nutrient targets for athletes as well would be is very bespoke i find um probably more so than a lot of other sports that i've worked in in the sense that you've you've got different positional groups and then yeah. you've got individuals so it, yes it's a team sport but like i say every individual may respond differently to to what you kind of encourage them to to do yeah which which leads nicely into my next question um and we've we've kind of touched on it um as, as we've gone through because of, of the nature of it. it is so individualized so um how how do you deal with the kind of different needs and tastes um in terms of that individual need uh, nutrition wise when working in a team environment with a, you know, a, a large number of players so when you're dealing like almost catering for uh, the team environment in that sense you kind of have to just get over yourself a bit and realize that you're never going to please everyone <laughs> because it's impossible but um it's kind of making sure that the majority of people are happy with the food provision and then um it's a it's trying to provide as much uh option and variety as you can and there is a budget it's not limitless it's it's a um it's a club team so it's not kind of endless money pots but it's it's being clever with um your menu design and the food provision that you have it's it's picking different sort of i suppose main meal options and, and working with um multiple different combinate plate combinations that you could get so it's um yeah a lot of the the kind of um work i put into things is is about the the menu design what works well together what doesn't and being receptive to the feedback like the lads it's not often that they'll tell you they're like super happy <laughs> they they will sometimes if they really enjoyed it and that's usually if we ever have a treat <laughs> in, in store but they'll tell you if they don't like something so it's very easy to um gauge whether people are happy or not and then sometimes you'll know it's just one whiny individual who's probably moaned most meal times and you can you in general i would ignore that one most of the time i would ignore that person but there'd be the rest of the time where if the general consensus is that was really good then like if i hit the majority but I mean, sometimes there's been times where I have met everyone has seemed happy and that's probably the best day at work. But like, it's just kind of, it's being clever with your menu design so that you can facilitate different people's dietary preferences and dietary goals as well. So we, we tend to kind of stick to um, main meals where you're able to add sort of your carbohydrate options too as opposed to we don't um the lads just don't have much of a, a preference for say like pasta dishes so 
um, we don't tend to have main meal pasta dishes, but we'll have, say, um, pasta salads as the side options that they can add to. And then you you just got to be a bit kind of clever with your with your menu planning, essentially. And it's kind of trying to create a culture around food. Like when I first started with Munster, some of the players would go off off site for their lunch because they weren't happy with what was being provided before. And I can safely say like now they all want to eat together on site. I think I don't know if anyone's kind of left the site because they weren't happy with what was available for probably over three years now because it it was very quickly kind of it was very easy to identify that the food the culture around food wasn't really they weren't really looking forward to meals whereas now like I say the kitchens are on the top floor so you can hear them coming up the stairs and they try and do like the sniff challenge to figure out what we're having for lunch so (laughs) They kind of do that coming upstairs, and that's just that's a positive sign that they're looking forward to what's what's going to be on for for lunch. Yeah, oh, that's cool, and and I'm glad you use the word culture because it is an important part of the culture of of the whole club. You know, the players eating together. So if you've got players going off site, then it's you know it's a obviously a bad thing from a nutrition and a cultural sort of point of view. Um, and also, sorry, it kind of gets them to engage in what you want to do from a like technical nutrition aspect as well so if they're happy with the stuff that you're doing in the lunchroom they're more receptive to the kind of the science that i want to do with them yeah kind of the rest of the time as well so it's important part of like club culture but then from from my point of view it's really important to establish a nutrition identity within within the club environment as well not just the the dinner lady <laughs> Um, that's, and, and also uh, talking about you know when things go wrong and people don't like stuff I have been on a rugby bus when sweet potato brownies were being passed around and that didn't go down very well just to, oh, yeah, words right. of the wise and you kind of you kind of mentioned like when you do treats um, what what sort of occasions would you would you say for those is it just a kind of surprise or after a particularly tough session because obviously it's important to do those those kind of treats at times. Yeah, I'm laughing there because I think sometimes it depends on my mood. If I need a treat, <laughs> it's a perk of the job. It's a perk of the job. Yeah, that's it. If I I pick, I pick what's on the menu, so if I fancy that for lunch, we're having it. So. <laughs> no, I think in general we like to um, have kind of um, relaxed and like treat things uh, maybe at the end of a long run of games or say like at the end of a pre-season block you might want to be like right we'll we'll cheers we'll have a beer we'll have something nice for lunch and you've worked hard and off you go for a week behave and come back ready sort of thing so it's important to do it because you can't be switched on all the time like I say we have a never-ending season it's in especially this one has been bizarre but it's kind of you need that that nice just having a nice time sometimes and just to be able to enjoy not that the the rest of the food is shit because it's always i think it's always good but <laughs> sometimes you need like oh yeah that was great i feel great now and off i go because like when you eat nice things you feel nice <laughs> at a basic level <laughs> yeah. 
That's cool. And um, again, this question we, we ask all the, the guests in the podcast, and this time I'm going to direct a strength coach, but you can, of course, um, mm-hmm. apply to nutritionists as well. But what advice would you give um, to an upcoming strength coach in terms of nutrition? Because they might be in an uh, environment where they're not lucky enough to have a nutritionist, and that's one of their responsibilities. So what advice would you give? I think I could give advice to strength coaches in that if, if you don't have the access to nutrition support um then don't try and be the nutritionist really try and encourage them to to seek out support from from a nutritionist like if if an snc is able to identify an issue or they maybe think that person isn't quite fully uh, engaging with his nutrition habits then it's a conversation to open up about how important that nutrition is but also that that player should always be willing to invest in themselves as well so they should try and seek out um, support I think if if an SNC um, or any kind of support staff really is going to um, give advice on nutrition then it's important to respect the fact that it probably is um someone some it is someone's professional job as well so like i never give my kind of two cents on what lift a person should be doing or not because it's not my kind of area so it's important to seek out the the right support as and when you can if you're just going to be giving kind of tips and hints then then use um, social media to a certain extent to to engage with with professional nutritionists as well. So to follow um, follow nutrition professionals online because a lot of the time, most of them they post a lot of handy resources, even basic like infographs and stuff that you see out. Like if you've got no option but to try and support the athlete yourself, then then make sure you're seeking out the right information, not just um, kind of blogs and stuff that are probably out there that are maybe just a bit loose try and try and seek out those nutrition professionals um, and and suss out where solid information and, and evidence-based information is coming from because I mean probably more so now with everyone doing home home workouts but everyone's probably a fitness professional after lockdown whereas in, in nutrition everyone eats so everyone's an expert in nutrition sometimes so there was that kind of where are you getting your information and is it is it evidence-based that's probably the most important important thing that there has to be an evidence basis behind what you're doing and that doesn't mean to say that it has to be a randomized controlled trial with hundreds of participants it might be some select case studies that you've seen but as long as it's it's well evidenced then then that's kind of a a way to get your information. But again, it, you should be kind of encouraging encouraging people to to kind of recognise that nutrition and sport nutrition is it's it is a standalone discipline. Yeah. Yeah. No, great advice. And uh, are there any books or resources you recommend? It doesn't have to be around nutrition. It might be something else that you found that's that's helped you through your career. I mean, I generally find like for like I say once you kind of got your head around the science of nutrition you know who to follow online you know kind of some of the resources to go I think 
what's really important and it is very popular in sport support professions is um kind of looking at leadership and i think that's a really popularized topic at the minute i think to the point where everyone wants to be a leader but not everyone wants to be a teammate and i think that's something that's probably um there's a few books out there on leadership that i think i've read and are quite good but what's an overriding message is that that yeah you can't have a leader if you don't have a t people willing to work as a team so kind of seeking out resources and books on 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 being a team i think is 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 really good but again i won't recommend specific ones because i think there are certain books that um my snc colleagues have recommended to me over the years and i can't stand to read them they're just not my kind of style of reading so we're a weird probably, bunch <laughs> yeah you are <laughs> but i think like exploring a few options and like audio books i think are really useful for me kind of um i don't know whether it's from doing the phd but my eyeballs just want to fall out my head if i carry on reading so i quite like <laughs> audio books as well so yeah, good tip. Um, and lastly, uh, Emma, where can people learn more about you? Yeah, I don't know whether you should Google me. <laughs> um, I'm on Twitter and I am on LinkedIn from a professional kind of point of view. Um, uh, that's probably, yeah, where you'd where you'd find out more about me in terms of like my career path and things. The LinkedIn profile is probably more. Um, more detail on on that and then twitter it's usually kind of um posting retweeting good papers that i read or see sort of thing so it, both of those are kind of my professional outputs as it were so that's yeah, probably cool. where you find out but don't google me <laughs> <laughs> okay excellent and uh, of course we'll share uh, links to that in the show notes but um just to wrap up now because we're, we're approaching the hour and it's been it's, it's flown by it's it's such a, a vast topic that you know, we can talk for hours. Um, so thank you for, for sharing your, your time with us and, and your, your insights has been been great. And um, and all the best for the, the season as and when it, it gets back up and running. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone's on tenterhooks waiting for things to push on and progress. Like it is in Ireland, things are, are moving along a bit quicker now, but um, yeah. we play in a league that's relying on teams from the UK as well. So it's yeah. it's... It's not just we're going to be firing away and and no one else is kind of we are we're still in a bit of a waiting game i suppose yeah well hopefully so it's all over soon <laughs> thanks yeah. Emma. perfect thank you no problem so some great content there and some real practical insight of how how the nutrition's run at munster and tons of great information there if you're a player or a coach so thank you emma much appreciated. We, we spoke a little bit after about possibly getting Emma on the podcast again and talking about or kind of dispelling some nutrition myths that you hear a lot. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely get that sorted out. So let us know if you have any questions about nutrition you'd like us to put to Emma. Uh, in the meantime, guys, please subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, whatever you use for your podcasts. And of course, check us out at rugbyrenegade.com. We've still got the uh, discounts on physio, online physio consults and online coaching, uh, the COVID-19 discounts. So check those out. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade Podcast. 
For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at rugbyrenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.